Hi Dr. Nanad, I'm Nadia from Zen Onco and it is really an honor to have you with us today on this knowledge sharing session. Really from your busy schedule you took the time for us and it really means a lot. Let me first really thank you on behalf of Zen Onco and Love Heals Cancer. To introduce Zen Onco and Love Heals Cancer, we guide cancer patients in their treatment journey with an integrative oncological approach. And today's session is going to be all about that awareness, the cancer awareness, the educating cancer patients. And Dr. Nanand, let me take this opportunity in introducing you to our viewers here. Um, Dr. Ninad Katare has been a surgical oncologist trained from Tata Memorial Hospital. In his three years of training there as a surgical oncologist, he has independently done more than 300 surgeries and assisted with more than other more other surgeries of various kinds like head and neck cancers, breast cancers, thoracic cancers, gastrointestinal cancers, uh, urogynic cancers, um, reconstructive cancers, and reconstructive surgery, sorry, uh, in oncology. And he has a total number of 11 years of experience overall and eight years as a specialist. Um, doctor has also been trained extensively in Europe. He has completed his master's in advanced oncology from Germany. This is a one-of-a-kind course that he did there. He has also various fellowships in cytoreductive surgery, HIPEC, uh, minimal invasive and robotic GI surgery, advanced laparoscopy and robotic surgeries. Um, the fellowships are, uh, and the last fellowship, uh, Minimal access and gynecology oncology. He's done his fellowships in so many, so many fields. Doctor, we are so honored to have you today on this session. Really, it is an honor to have such a learned person in the field of oncology speaking to us today. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you for the opportunity. I also uh, appreciate the wonderful work with Zen Onco and uh, uh, Love Heals Cancer has been doing. And I would also say it's an honor to be here. <laughs> Wow, that is really, it makes us very proud. It makes us very proud to have you here, doctor. You can take the podium from us. We'll just go into this Q&A session that, you know, everybody can benefit out of, right? Okay. Um, coming to cytoreductive surgery and HIPEC, doctor, we would like to know your entire insights into this. Please give us your inputs. The podium is yours, doctor. Yeah, so basically, uh, cytoreductive surgeries and HIPEC is a relatively new concept. Right. Uh, uh, initially, uh, peritoneal cancers is not, it's an upcoming field. Basically, these include primary cancers which arise from uh, something called a peritoneum, which is the lining of our abdominal cavity uh, from the inside. So okay. they can be primary peritoneal carcinomas or they can be mesotheliomas. They are relatively rare cancers. Okay. And more common is uh, what we call as metastasis of other cancers to the peritoneum. Right. Much more common, which you see in commonly found cancers like ovary, uh, okay. stomach, colon and appendix. All right. Yes. Uh, so traditionally, this uh, uh, advanced uh, cancers used to be considered very advanced. And okay. uh, since the routine chemotherapies and routine surgeries failed, uh, they were usually left uh, untreated or the patients were just given what is called as palliative chemotherapy and right. uh, after that the patient didn't recover. The usual lifespan used to be three months to six months. Uh, so now with advent in this techniques of cytoreductive surgery, uh, improvements in perioperative care and ICU care, uh, improvements in intraoperative uh, patient monitoring, 
and use of this technology called as hypec which is heated intraperitoneal chemotherapy wherein uh, after the surgery a hot water bath is created inside the abdomen itself wherein a heated chemotherapy heated up to 42 degrees celsius is uh, circulated uh, using a special machine called as yeah. a hypec machine and uh, it can be circulated anywhere from 90 to uh, sorry 30 to 90 minutes correct Uh, and uh, after that the chemotherapy drug is removed and the abdomen is closed so okay. for certain cancers like pseudomyxoma where no other treatment exists if it's a low grade pseudomyxoma uh, after a complete surgery with hypec patients are alive even 10 years after surgery uh, where initially they used to not live for more than 6 months to a year oh wow uh, it, cases right. like ovarian cancer also nowadays we have recent data where if the even in advanced cases of ovarian cancer if it is not amenable to upfront surgery hmm. you can give three cycles of chemotherapy and after that you can do cytoreductive surgery and hypec and it has a better survival benefit compared to only chemotherapy and surgery there are some okay. patients who receive only chemotherapy in ovary which is absolutely wrong because they should receive chemotherapy as well as cytoreductive surgery and now recent evidence shows that adding hypec to the cytoreductive surgery adds to the survival so it benefits more, even more yeah yes it it benefits even more and even in certain selected cases of uh, the stomach cancer and colon cancer which have spread to peritoneum which technically makes makes it last stage so that is the fourth stage hmm. but in selected cases you can even use hypec in them okay so the, and uh, for uh, for primary peritoneal cancer which i told you the primary peritoneal carcinoma and mesothelioma these are relatively rare cancers uh okay. maybe one in one million kind of a incidence rate is there so even for this cases routine chemotherapy doesn't work so well so cytoreductive okay. surgery and hypec is the mainstay for these cancers also Yes, doctor. When you said special cases, what exactly did you mean by these special cases? Uh, so, for example, uh, like uh, this, then I'll have to add one more entity to this. So, there we also do a new technique called as a uh, PIPAC, which is aerosolized chemotherapy. So, for example, in stomach cancer, when it uh, spreads to the peritoneum, it is stage four. Uh, with uh, in that, usually surgery is not done. and we give only uh, traditional iv chemotherapy okay so uh, in that even with chemotherapy the maximum survival rarely touches 6 months to 1 year mm. so uh, uh, what we have seen that in stomach cancers who are not responding to routine chemo or even upfront mm. uh, we give a, a combination of what is called as a bidirectional therapy so uh, that means uh, we give intravenous like a traditional chemotherapy and at the same time we add something called as a intraperitoneal chemotherapy that means the chemotherapy directly inside the abdominal cavity okay so that can either be given as a liquid form uh, uh, where we put in a port in the tummy and inject the chemotherapy every week from there along with the standard iv chemotherapy Okay. The other option is we give something called as PIPAC, which is aerosolized chemotherapy. So it's like okay. surgery uh, wherein the patient is admitted for one day. We do the PIPAC, and next day the patient goes home. Hmm. And uh, so, so this PIPAC is done every two monthly, and in the interim two months, the routine IV chemotherapy is done. So okay. in some patients, we have seen that the response is so fantastic 
Wow. Hmm. The peritoneal uh, disease regresses to more than 50% uh, reduction in diseases seen. Sometimes even 80% reduction in diseases seen. Oh, 80% is also there. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so in such cases, a potentially patient who can't be operated, we can then actually uh, take this patient up for surgery. We can do a CRS, that is cytoreductive surgery, and a hypex surgery in them. And a potentially terminal patient, we are technically curing it. We may be able to cure it for just a year or two more. But when the patient is going to die in six months, we are extending his life by three to four years at least. So we are Correct. getting around a few years extra and with a good quality of life. All right. All That's right. By selected cases. You can't do it in each and every case of uh, fourth stage cancer. Only in certain cancers which are responding to the therapy, we can really provide a lot of newer technologies and we can extend the survival and without compromising the quality of life. That is also important. Right, right. <laughs> okay, doctor. Also, how is uh, EPEC and NIPS related to this peritoneal oncology? Peritoneal. No, so basically, uh, as the uh, uh, this subset, uh, subspeciality of peritoneal oncology is evolving, yeah. Uh, various modalities have, are being tried or have been tried or are in use as of this moment. Uh, hmm. So as I said, the commonly used ones are the HIPEC and the PIPEC, hmm. which we spoke about. And EPIC is, uh, it stands for Early Post-Operative Chemotherapy. So hmm. that is selective uses. Usually it is used only in pseudomyxoma and ovary. Scientific hmm. evidence is more. Yes. And this is the one which I discussed some time back. So it stands for neoadjuvant intraperitoneal and systemic chemotherapy. Yeah. So uh, as I said, in stomach cancer, it has been uh, most uh, uh, commonly used. Right. <coughs> I'm so sorry. No so uh, in Japan, uh, they have done a lot of studies on this. Uh, so the latest scientific evidence is from Japan because Japan has a very high incidence of stomach cancers. So in NIPS, basically, uh, we don't give only IV chemo. We give IV chemo with what is called as IP chemo, that is intraperitoneal chemotherapy. Okay. So we give it for three cycles, like IV chemotherapy. Okay. And we uh, assess the response to the disease by something called as a, a staging laparoscopy. So we make a small keyhole uh, like openings in the abdomen and right. then we put the telescope inside and we check uh, what is the response of the disease. So the first, uh, when we put in the IP port, that is the time where we do the first index laparoscopy. Hmm. That time we quantify the disease. Then uh, we give three cycles of routine chemotherapy and uh, this IP chemotherapy together. And then after three cycles, we again assess the result. Okay. If the response is good. We can take this patient up for the curative surgery. Okay. So has been most successful in uh, this cancers. Stomach cancers. Stomach cancers, yes. And uh, now recently uh, we have uh, one more uh, scientific publication where it has been found to be useful in uh, something called as pseudomyxoma also. Okay, what is pseudomyxoma? It's a form of appendix cancer. Okay, okay, okay. okay. In these two cases, the NIPS works very well. NIPS works very so well. These are basically various forms of intraperitoneal chemotherapy. It's a new way to give chemotherapy uh, in certain cancers where uh, normally, they don't respond to our traditional chemotherapy. Right, doctor, right. Also, um, coming to PIPEC, uh, doctor, uh, could you stress on to all the aspects of PIPEC for 
our viewers just, yeah, so just... basically pipac is a very unique way of giving chemotherapy it has it is totally different from what you normally imagine cancer treatment to be right so in this what we do is basically we are converting the standard liquid chemotherapy using a special device called as a capnopen okay we convert it into a aerosol form okay aerosol is the uh, uh, type of uh, form which you use it for your nebulizers for asthma yes yes and, yes and uh, those puffs which you take right so those are the medicines which are in aerosolized form but then those puffs you can't use in your abdominal cavity no you can't yeah yeah so this special device has uh, been uh, made there's just one company in the whole of the world which makes it from uh, germany so wow. we, uh, so and it's like a disposable device which we can use it in one patient okay. but uh, like since india is not a well developed country so we have uh, taken permission to use it multiple times right uh, so you can use it few times more also uh and this device can pass through a standard laparoscopy uh, what we call as a port okay ha huh. so this machine is like a pen that's why it's called as a capno pen and oh, okay. uh, we do this procedure like a day care procedure like the patient gets admitted either previous night or early morning hmm uh, then uh, we take the patient into the ot under general anesthesia you make small 1 cm holes in the abdomen hmm and we insert this uh, laparoscope the same laparoscope which we use for doing appendix surgery and so on uh, so uh, so then under the uh, laparoscopic vision we first calculate the burden of the disease yeah quantify how much the disease is there by a process called as pci peritoneal carcinomatosis index okay doctor. so once we quantify the disease then we take multiple biopsies hmm. and after that we make the whole assembly of this pipette hmm and uh, then we connect that capnopen to something called as a pressure injector and then the chemotherapy drugs are loaded into this pressure injector hmm. and through this capnopen uh, the chemo is then given in aerosolized form the okay. advantage of uh, uh, pipac is the chemo dose what we need in pipac is just 1/10 the dose of standard chemotherapy oh so, okay. so like for example if you are using 120 or 200 milligram of drug in a routine intravenous chemotherapy hmm uh, in pipac you are just using maybe 10 milligram so the side effects of a standard chemotherapy are almost non existent much less much less okay uh, wow toxicity you don't have uh, drops in your wbc count you don't have hair loss you don't have vomiting this is a real game changer yeah so but unfortunately it can be used only in selective cases Yeah. Uh, so, like, there as of now only three or four drugs which have been sanctioned for pipac use. Correct. And the cancers which we have treated till now are the same which we use for hypac. Okay. So the mesotheliomas, ovarian cancer, colon cancer, stomach cancer, pseudomyxoma, mm-hmm. primary peritoneal cancers, and rare cases we have succeeded in. Uh, like, we had one case of breast cancer which had spread to the abdominal cavity. It oh, has responded. Oh, so from the breast, it went. It spread right up to the abdomen also. Yeah, so it reached. Uh, it had what is called as a peritoneal spread. Okay. Okay. Uh, there, uh, they responded to pipac. So it's a one-off case. So you can't use it as evidence. Right. It helped that patient. Right. Okay. Then there is one entity called as mesothelium of the lung, which is very common. Right. So in this, many times the uh, uh, there's a lot of fluid which collects in the lung again and again. 
So mm-hmm. in one patient, we have tried uh, what is called as a thoracic pipac. Okay. Uh, it is uh, it is labeled as pipac. P i t a c. Pipac. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we can uh, use in such cases where, like the routine chemotherapy is not working. Uh, in uh, in what is called as the lung mesothelioma, so that is also relatively rare kind of cancers, but usually when they present, they present in advanced state. Right. And and our standard chemotherapy doesn't work so well in them. So in these patients also, like giving Pytex, uh, it won't cure the disease, but it reduces the fluid collection, so mm-hmm. it makes their life more comfortable. While going through the disease, yes, correct. Yes. Uh, so so Pypex uh, is more of control of more of control of disease and control of symptoms yes in certain cancers like stomach and pseudomyxoma we have found that the responses sometimes are so good mm. that the patient ends up with a curative surgery also wow okay the pipac though it has begun as a just a con- means for control now it is helping us in cure certain patients too. that's amazing that really is amazing which yeah. is definitely uh, not a big game changer but a small game changer. yeah it is i mean in the field of cancer it could change the way yeah. we cancers yes yes that's exactly what i was coming to say <laughs> doctor you are one of the few surgeons trained in india for fertility preservation surgery in gynecology cancers you we'd be delighted to hear me as a woman i'd be very delighted to know about that uh, true so so this topic is actually uh, quite a neglected topic in india because uh, initially there used to uh, not be many patients who were young mm-hmm. and uh, who developed cancers correct so i always say that cancer is a disease of modernity the uh, modernization the more modern we are becoming uh, some our cells are not able to keep pace with that and hence the cancer rates are increasing and mm-hmm. what we are also seeing is the number of young patients with cancer mm-hmm. uh, so 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 my uh, th- there is actually a very big field which is fertility preservation in cancer in general okay so uh, which includes the medical oncologist the uh, in vitro fertility specialist okay uh, so i focus mainly on fertility preservation in gynec cancers yes uh, so that Uh, three commonest cancers uh, uh, in gynecology, uh, which you routinely see in practice. So one is ovary, one is endometrium, and one is cervix. Yes. Uh, so in each of them, if the patient is young, you can use certain techniques where you don't. Uh, so what fertility preservation means? Either you try to save the uterus, the fallopian tubes, and the ovaries, mm. or at least you try to save the eggs from the ovaries. and the uterus so which at a later date can be used for procreation procreation yeah so uh, for example like we had one uh, case she was a 34 years old lady yeah. and who st- uh, did not have a baby till now mm. so they were married uh, uh, like 4 years ago and then she started developing uh, a ovarian tumor okay. so uh, after checking what we found out that it is what is called as a borderline ovarian tumor okay so in borderline tumors usually you don't need to remove the other ovary if it is absolutely not how is it different from the so how? ovarian tumors can be of three types uh, simple uh, tumors which are called as benign yeah then you have this entity called as borderline which has a, a propensity to progress into frank cancer correct uh, but in a very small percentage of patients right 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 and third is the 
actual cancer that cancer. is called a adenocarcinoma. Oh, yeah. So, uh, in those, uh, like, if the other ovary is normal, you can preserve that ovary. Okay. And the uterus. Many of the times, people do, uh, just, uh, uh, many of the doctors also, if they're not trained in fertility preservation, hmm. they will see the word tumor and remove everything. Or, oh onc- God. or if it's a, not a gynec oncologist, right. not aware of this uh, possibility that even in Certain cases of frank cancer also you don't need to remove the opposite ovary. They will end up removing the ovary and the uterus and then the patient will lose her fertility. Yeah. So it's like that. So in this patient, we just removed the uh, affected ovary and we uh, c- completed what is called as a staging surgery where we remove other parts like the omentum and the peritoneum. Okay. But we uh, keep the uterus and the other ovary intact. Intact, yes, yes. So because that three, is the main. That yeah. Is the, so within three months from surgery, her uh, menstrual cycles regularized, and now two years after surgery, she has even conceived. Wow, that's amazing. So it's like that. So basically, you need to know, uh, have a knowledge about which entities you can preserve them. So right. like in a frank ovarian cancer, hmm. uh, re- uh, keeping the uterus or removing the uterus doesn't harm the survivor. Okay. So if a patient is very desperate ki nahi, I want to have a baby in my own womb. Nah. In certain selected cases, say for example, if one-sided ovary is involved and the other side ovary is involved, but you can harvest the eggs from that ovary. Okay. There are ways and means where you can harvest those eggs. Outside the womb, yes. Yeah, and if the uh, patient is already married, you uh, the uh, easier option is to fertilize what is called as the embryos. Yes. That means you take the sperm from the uh, husband fertilize that egg and then embryo preservation is much more simpler than just cryopreservation of the eggs. Correct. And cheaper also. Yes, yes. So in such cases we do that, we complete the treatment hmm. and then either using a hormonal manipulation, we can implant those embryo in the same lady okay. uh, in the uterus. Or if not, uh, if uterus has to be removed, then we have to think of cellulosis. This is only when the lady or the the bearer, the lady is more into having the baby in her uterus. Exactly, exactly. So mm-hmm. that is for ovarian cancer. Then for endometrial cancers, uh, the, the fertility preservation can only be done in stage one. Okay. So in a stage one, pro one cancer of uh, endometrium. Yeah. Uh, in this subtype called as endometrial adenocarcinoma. Right. Uh, so in that, using hormonal treatment, you can continue patient on non-surgical treatment right. for a year or two. Correct. So if patient wants to conceive in that time, hmm. uh, she can finish conception and then you can undertake a completion surgery. Okay. And that can be done only in the first stage of the cancer. All Similarly, right. in cervix, there are multiple, uh, uh, what do you say? techniques uh, wherein you can do fertility preservation again it's possible only in first stage of the cancer okay. uh, it's like 1a 1b maximum uh, okay. so in that what you essentially do is like sometimes just a white excision called as a cone excision is done okay. which cures the cancer okay. or in certain stages you have to do something called as a tracheolectomy it's a specialized form of surgery when right. you wherein you just remove the cervix, that is the mouth of the uterus. Okay. You keep the native uterus intact. Mm-hmm. 
and after removing that cervix with its cancer you join the uterus back to the vagina okay and the restore the continuity of the uh, gen- genital tract yeah so at a later date the ovaries are there the uterus is there so the patient can conceive she will need a cesarean section but the patient can conceive at least she can conceive by normal means yes yeah, absolutely so so this is how fertility uh, preservation works in from surgical perspective yes There's also an aspect where fertility preservation is done for protection from chemo protection from radiation but then that's a one hour topic in itself yeah. later, <laughs> later definitely this is so interesting i did not know so much like no, uh, as it is basically cancer has evolved significantly cancer treatment has evolved significantly unfortunately many people are just not aware wow it's like at an independent level also i try to have more of my blogs and everything where we try to make people aware of this in right, fact okay. with zenonko we should start a regular monthly blog where we can cover each topic we can take wow that would be amazing doctor yeah, that would take, be amazing uh, say myths or doubts from uh, the general public hmm. and we can do a weekly or monthly blog for them that it would be fantastic because there are so many technological advances there are so many misconceptions there are so many myths surrounding cancer treatment you can yeah. actually help people we can them yeah we will help break those myths and break those stigmas oh. yes doctor again coming to gynecology i we've heard of gynecologists and urologists and could you please enlighten us on urogynecologists and what urogynec cancer uh, so so actually uh, it's a uh, i would say a misnomer it's not exactly a urogynecologist right uh, so uh, some people use that word commonly because what has happened ki many of the gynecologists uh, also treat urological cancers and vice versa okay. and then uh, there is a specialty in itself called as a pelvic uh, disease special okay uh, so they usually deal with the non cancer aspect of it okay. and uh, they, uh, they treat both gynecological and urological problems so that is why this term urogynecologist comes but that yeah. is not a right term so in oncological perspective you will have a uro oncologist uro oncologist yes so who deals with uh, the uh, cancers of the uh, urinary system you can say yes so basically the kidney the bladder the prostate and what happens in male the urogenital system is common so a uro oncologist will treat the genital system in males so when you say a uh, genital urinary system in males you don't need a spe- special specialist for that yeah okay. but what happens in females for gynecology so ovarian cancer or uterine cancer many times the gynec oncologist is also not trained in urology so they sometimes have to involve the urological surgeons oh if you an example like if you have a recurrent cervical cancer that means a cervix cancer which has come back again yes many times i would say uh, nine times out of 10 it will involve the urinary bladder okay so in this cases you have to remove the urinary bladder okay okay so what happens is once you remove the urinary bladder the traditional technique used to be you have to do a stoma on the abdominal wall and the urine passes into a bag on that wall yes uh, now yes. newer techniques are there wherein you involve the urologist and create what is called as a neo bladder okay wherein the patient uh, has to pass a catheter from below to empty the bladder but then 
the patient has urine passing through the normal pathway okay so so this a uh, gynecologist won't be trained so he will have to involve he or she will have to involve a urologist mm. hmm so urogynecologist is not ideally a right term it isn't but it, yeah. usually both these branches are interrelated because even in the body they are closely related to each other okay okay so doctor basically yes doctor more on the rising trend of breast cancer these days uh, what are your what are your comments on that uh, so as i said before a, mm-hmm. it's a disease of modernization and modernization there are certain cancers which we call as lifestyle cancers so breast colon uh, and prostate and endometrium these are what we call as lifestyle cancers so usually the more modernized you are uh, more junk you eat more junk food you eat more refined flours you eat refined sugars uh, obesity lack of exercise so these are the factors which are known to affect this cancers so okay. you see breast cancer more common in obese patient endometrial cancer more common in obese patients yeah. so on and so forth now so uh, that is the reason why uh, i would say this is one of the primary reasons why breast cancer is increasing hmm. at a significant rate yeah doctor what about the different procedures and surgeries endosurgery laparoscopic surgery minimal invasive that's surgery that's a very interesting question which i always like so uh, this is uh, why I, i smiled is because traditionally laparoscopy and robotic surgery was not commonly done in cancers yes because it was feared that the cancer treatment will not uh, be adequate as in uh, the whole cancer may not be removed okay. the reason being that this minimal access surgery or laparoscopic surgery as it is called or mm. the or robotic surgery yeah these procedures were invented in non cancer cases oh. like for example laparoscopic surgery started with uh, the gall bladder surgery to remove gallstones okay but as like um, man is a evolving creature as we say <laughs> <laughs> we say that yeah yeah as the skills <laughs> evolved people started operating on cancers also right and many of the initial proponents of laparoscopy in cancer surgeries were not cancer specialists okay so the outcomes used to be poor okay now what has happened all across the world including india many of the cancer surgeons like for example i got trained in cancer surgery first and yeah. then laparoscopy and robotic surgery okay so what it has helped us do is we cho- uh, so basically instead of using a blanket statement that open surgery is good or laparoscopic surgery is good or robotic surgery is good yes. what we do is choose the right technology for the right patient yeah, equipment plays a big role yeah. yeah so 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 for example in complex surgeries a laparoscopy may not do a very good job right but a robotic uh surgery if you are doing in that aspect is a very helpful tool so mm-hmm. to give you an example uh like in cervix cancers okay or in rectal cancers where we have to operate deep down into the pelvis or prostate cancer where the robot uh was first used okay so these organs are very deep down into our pelvis yes uh, so with uh, laparoscopic surgery there is a limitation negotiating that space so in this cases though robotic surgery is costly hmm it provides a technological advantage yes and mm-hmm. also if we are able to complete the surgery by robotic it provides a big benefit to the patient patient yeah. 
like recently uh, like every month we do robotic cases we do laparoscopy cases so like i had a recently a lady who was 72 years old wow and we did uh, laparoscopy surgery in her hmm. and next day she was just walking about the room and she like doctor aapne kuch mera operation kiya ki nahi that was the kind of response she had the next day the very yeah. next day because the incision are less than 1 cm in size those are muscle splitting rather than muscle cutting incisions so the pain oh. very less okay do the uh, intensity and the scale of surgery is the same as open surgery right this problem of pain and discomfort which you get hmm. not because of the surgery done inside it is because of your skin incision correct correct because our pain receptors are mainly in the skin Okay. and the muscle so so that is where your main pain lies hmm. so cases where you can do the surgery by laparoscopy or robotics always better option the biggest in quotes remark would be it should be oncologically adequate and oncologically safe that means Correct. the amount of surgery which you do by laparoscopy and robotics should be the same as what you are doing in open surgery Okay. Using a new technology is justified in cancer because in cancer, what matters most is survival. The biggest criteria is survival. Survival, yes. And wherever possible, we try to give as good a quality of life as possible. Managing the disease, managing yeah. mostly. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, so laparoscopy robotics helps in that. And now, uh, what has happened is with awareness, some people have uh, in India. It's still not common, but like places like Japan, where the stomach cancer is very common they have a screening protocol in place where every 6 months or a year people get endoscopies done correct so then if you have a very early uh, disease so mm-hmm. stage 1 uh, esophagus cancer stage 1 stomach cancer stage 1 colon cancer mm-hmm. uh, in su- certain selective cases of the stage 1 cancers if it is involving only the sup- superficial layers of the organ Okay. Uh, we are able to just dissect that tumor from endoscopy. Like we just put okay. in a scope, and there are special equipments uh, along with the endoscope where you dissect that much tumor. Right. So without a scarless procedure, the patient is operated. But then wow. uh, mm-hmm. here, a because of lack of awareness, and two because you don't have a centralized government system or anything, mm. you don't get very early cases coming in. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the main thing. And the biggest problem which we face is, uh, like, usual our mentality, including I would say mine also. Mm. We don't seek a doctor until the symptoms start. Start exactly. Unfortunately, in cancer, the symptoms and the quantum of disease don't correlate. So the mm. most, uh, like, the usual thumb rule is the most superficial the cancer. For example, a breast cancer mm. or a skin cancer. is detected early because what happens it is on the external part of the body even if you don't have pain you sometimes feel that yeah feeling a lump in the breast i'm feeling a black mark on my skin which is increasing so it's easier to identify yeah the more deeper you go in the body because it's a open space we don't realize ovary cancer 80% of our patients we see in third stage lung oh cancer God. 80% of the patients are seen in fourth stage Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately like uh, for certain things screening helps like for colon cancer you have uh, fecal occult blood for breast cancer you have mammography mm-hmm. for cervix cancer you have pap smears yes uh, uh, for lung cancer there's something called as a low dose ct scan which is now being tried 
So okay. certain cancers we have, but for certain cancers we still don't have. Like have, don't have. we don't have tests to check that. Yeah. When coming to advanced cancer patients, doctor, uh, alternative and conventional medicine, how much does it help manage the situation? This again is a very interesting topic. In fact, uh, we are recently collaborating with uh, some specialists okay. uh, called as pain and palliative care specialists okay. uh, and uh, alternative medicine specialists. Okay. Uh, so traditionally, the pillars of cancers are always three. Right. chemotherapy and radiation. Yes. The forms of surgery will change, the forms of chemo will change, and the forms of radiation will change. What things have evolved now is, A, we are using a lot of supportive systems. Yes. So, uh, for example, we have a, 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 a chronic pain specialist. So if patient has a very advanced cancer, your routine chemo radiation surgery may not suffice. Uh, in which case, we have something called as implantable pumps. A special okay. uh, transdermal pain uh, devices, uh, which will help in reducing the pain of the patients. Uh, so that is one aspect to it. Second aspect would be, like we do palliative uh, surgeries, like pipac can be used in palliative settings. If there is uh, something called as a palliative uh, obstruction, if an intestine is getting blocked by some cancer, mm. we can do that obstruction and then the patient is able to eat well. Okay. Uh, we have palliative radiation where giving a short dose of radiation can stop a bleeding or improve the reduce the pain or improve the uh, reduce the symptoms. Okay. The comfort level of the patient, so on and so forth. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, we have not had studies in India yet where you can use Ayurveda or homeopathy in cancers. Uh, yes. There are many people using it. There are many people who claim that it has been I was cured. just going to ask you yes yeah. so but I am not against that what I'm saying is we have what is called as anecdotal reports rather than scientific studies hmm. in fact I would love to form a collaboration with someone and have a scientific study because that potential has been unexplored it has been unexplored so for example if you search the literature website called as PubMed you can see that there are certain uh, Chinese herbs, there are certain, I think, Incan medicines which are helping in stomach cancers and certain other cancers. Okay. So, uh, I think we are definitely sitting on a wealth of knowledge which mm-hmm. needs to be explored in a proper way. We are we're keeping our minds open about it is what is going to benefit us, I feel. True, true, true. So, right now, what we are doing is, especially for end-stage cancer patients or advanced cancers, where mm-hmm. we know we can't cure the patients. So, yeah. what we tell them is like, See, these are the scientific proven principles where taking this treatment helps. Okay. But simultaneously, you can do naturopathy or Ayurveda where if it can boost your immunity, you can tolerate the chemo better. Yeah. Boost your strength, your resistance to the side effects of the uh, conventional treatments are better. Hmm. Combining these two things Hmm. uh, is definitely helping our patients. So though we are doing it more at a, uh, how you can say, uh, it's more of an unofficial scale. Mm. Uh, we need to have more research on that. And if we can establish certain protocols in the long run, it will be beneficial. For very me. beneficial, very beneficial. Right. Let's, right. What the future, let's see what the future holds. 
We yeah, none of us know. None of us know. It's all only a matter of. Let's see in the next two three years if we can ma- make some changes in that. <laughs> <laughs> so on a lighter note, yes, doctor. Yeah. Also, uh, head and neck cancers, doctor. Head and neck cancers, th- so, thoracic cancers. I mean, so see, uh, thoracic. I won't talk much because thoracic is actually relatively less in numbers. Yes. And uh, like, th- uh, what? But we, head and neck is rising. It's on the rise. Head, well. Yeah. Head and neck. I would like to address is because in India, especially, hmm. head and neck cancers are the highest in number. Yes. The biggest culprit for it is tobacco. Tobacco in smoke form, tobacco in chewed form. Uh, all these uh, tobacco products and the areca nuts. So uh, the chuna, tambaku, all those things. Even uh, the things which people eat in the interiors, the khara and the uh-huh. spoil mule and all sorts of names are there. <laughs> so basically what they do is like uh, they are kept inside the mouth and be, yeah. uh, sucking at it for that lime and tobacco to come in. So what that does is basically irritates the entire head neck region. Yeah. And because of that, and you, many of them start at the age of 12 and 15, they start eating that. So we are getting patients as young as 24, 25 with huge cancers of the uh, head, face and neck. Uh, so so in uh, head and neck cancers, the, I always tell like one of my patients, uh, like I always tell my patients, like if you help in stopping two other people from smoking and tobacco chewing, uh, I, I'll give 20% discount to your relatives. <laughs> yeah, because, because they uh, act as the best messengers. Like I have, I had one patient uh, whose both sons used to chew tobacco like anything. They used to finish like five packets every day. Oh my uh, God. The day their father got operated from next day, they stopped eating tobacco and it's been now four years now. Wow, that is some... So, so the patient actually becomes the best advocate. Wow. So I, 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 I always give that incentive. Hmm. You get me five patients who have stopped because they have stopped tobacco. Your next relative, I'm giving a discount. Big time discount. Yeah. It, it can act as a self-propagating way for because head neck cancer. If you see worldwide where the people are not chewing tobacco, the incidence is less than one fourth of India. Wow, so that in head much. And for the biggest uh, advice would be: don't smoke, don't chew tobacco. <laughs> okay, doctor. Gastrointestinal cancers, doctor. What about uh, the intensive work I, done yes, in gastrointestinal? I'll just touch few aspects of it because gastrointestinal cancer is again like a one-hour talk separately. We uh, have to somehow collaborate and do the Zenonco Talks blog. Yeah, we, we will do it gradually. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I would like to address two cancers specifically. Uh, so, because uh, there are a lot of uh, modern things happening in that. So, I'll I'll talk on colon cancer colorectal cancer specifically okay. because that we are seeing on a, it's on the rise. Hmm. So right now we, in gastrointestinal, we just address colorectal cancers. Okay, for now. And address Correct. because uh, otherwise yes, it, it, we'll go yes. on tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, colorectal cancers are basically out of two types, like colon or rectum cancers. Yes. And colon cancers usually are straightforward to manage A because they will present with some symptoms. So you can get a stage one cancer also. You can get a stage four cancer also. Mm-hmm. In all the colorectal cancers, uh, colon cancers, basically, the treatment is always surgery and chemotherapy, a combination of that. Right. 
and uh, like as i said keen colon cancers you can have that pipec and hypec options also which are available in advanced cancers in rectum cancers is a very interesting uh, uh, developments have happened in the recent years Uh, yes. So basically, as I said, if for very early cancers, if it's a stage one cancer, hmm. and nowadays there is a new type of ultrasonography, which is uh, that is sonography, which is available. It is called as EUS, endoscopic okay. ultrasound. Okay. It has been there for quite some time now, uh, around seven eight years uh, plus in India. Yeah. So uh, if it's a very early cancer, you can do this endoscopic ultrasound. Okay. And if only the superficial layers of your rectum are involved. Mm. you can do as we discussed earlier the endoscopic surgery yes, so sir. without leaving any scar the cancer is removed and okay. end of story we can just have a regular follow up mm. then the second uh, advance which has happened is something called as sphincter preserving surgery it's okay. a huge not only a technological advance i would say a psychological advance also Because mm-hmm. many of the colorectal cancer patients, which we see in India, are in the age group of forty to sixty, right. so relatively young patients. Right. And uh, the traditional teaching was, if from your anus, the cancer is five centimeters from the anus, mm-hmm. you have to remove the entire rectum, and you have a stoma for life on your abdominal cavity. Oh my God! The motions mm-hmm. uh, come from a hole on your tummy. Oh my God! So it has a very bad psychological impact on the patient. Yeah. So, so now what uh, recent studies have shown uh, that if your sphincters, the anal sphincters, the muscles which hold our stool in place before you can pass them, so if those sphincters are not involved, you can do a surgery called as intersphincteric surgery. Okay. Uh, you remove just a part of the sphincter; the rest of the sphincter remains. Right. In which case, you are able to save the normal pathway of the patient. Okay. Okay. So if the healing process happens, we are able. Uh, we keep a temporary stoma, but then once that uh, lower surgery has healed, we close the stoma and the patient can pass motions from below. Wow. So, mm. so, so this is again one big technological advantage which many people don't know. And probably yeah. many doctors who are not trained in that will not give that option to the patient. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Huh. That is something which I always feel bad. Mm. And so, um, because if you are trained in that, you should offer that to the patient. If you are not trained, you should send that patient to someone who is trained in it, or at least have the awareness that such a treatment. Uh, so and, and and then now one one more concept which has come is mm. called as a non-surgical option for rectal cancers. Okay. So in very selected cases, so I'm 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 speaking it at the end because I don't want. Wrong ideas to pass on. Yes, yes. Are uh, that very selected cases or early stages? You can just give chemo radiation. Okay. And if there is what we call as a complete response, that okay. means the patient has stage two, stage three cancer, we give chemotherapy, we give radiation therapy, and okay. the disease uh dis uh like disappears totally on MRI. We okay. then do a uh, under anesthesia examination and biopsy. Okay. From where the cancer was. Okay. And if that also comes out to be negative, we say that it's a complete clinical radiological response. That okay. means it has responded to chemotherapy and radiation. In olden days, this patient used to undergo surgery, but okay. now we are keeping them under what is called as wait and watch policy. 
so whether every, or not surgery is necessary or uh, so yeah. so in uh, like every three three monthly we follow them up hmm. and we have some patients who have now completed almost two and a half years and okay. without surgery they are doing fine wow so so this is also one technological advance but then uh, it is suitable only in a selected number of patients so the disadvantage right now of yeah, that is yes. So right. trying to uh, see which patients will benefit, and uh, we are being very super selective in the type of patients we treat right now with that. Right. Okay, Just doctor. Ask. No problem. No problem. Yeah. Laptop is getting discharged. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So we can continue now. Okay. So, as a surgical oncologist, in your experience, I'm pretty sure you might have come across very uncommon, rare cases that were a real challenge for you. Please enlighten us, doctor, on that. Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, rare cancers uh, is a very arbitrary term, I would say. So okay. every type of cancer may have certain rare subtypes, as we say. Mm-hmm. But then there are certain cancers which are truly rare. Like for example, as I was discussing in the peritoneal cancers discussion mm. that the abdominal mesothelioma mm. or pseudomyxomas. Mm. So these are relatively rare cancers of the abdominal cavity. Okay. So, uh, so uh, what we are in at presently in the pro- uh, process of setting up a network for rare cancers. Oh, so we already, yes. already have a society of uh, what we call as peritoneal oncology. Okay. And we are in the process of setting up a network for this rare cancers. So what happens in rare cancers, you can't treat them on scientific evidence because the evidence is low. Yes. It is what we call as level 5 evidence. It's basically uh, a certain center has done X number of cases. Okay. So based on that experience, we try to manage them. Okay. And then usually we will try to extrapolate the knowledge we have of regular cancers to that and more often than not it works well yes so uh, uh, on the other hand certain cancers which are there but scientific advances are happening like the classical example i can give you is something called as uh, anal melanoma or rectal melanoma so melanoma is was technically a skin cancer yes but it also develops on what is called as mucous membranes those are the pink lining of our mouth and intestine and colon and rectum everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, colorectal melanomas are relatively rare. Hmm. Uh, so, nowadays with new scientific advances, we are able to treat them. So, like melanoma has this very good targeted chemotherapy drug. Okay. Which really works very well. Okay. So, in such cases, we use, uh, we take help of the medical or the radiation oncologist. Okay. So, uh, in rare tumors, what is most important, I would say, is something called as an MDT, a okay. multidisciplinary team meeting. Right. So, uh, ideally, for any onco cases, be it a rare or a regular cancer, okay. if you have a MDT, it's always better. And I think your platform is one of the only one who does that online. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. uh, that, that is one concept which I really liked in your platform. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, like. Cancer is such a thing where a single modality often is not adequate. Not, it's not enough. You need, uh, like, if you don't need a treatment, you at least can get an opinion of that specialist. Exactly. And if exactly. you can avail of them at the same time, it is for the benefit of the patient. Because 
it so happens that as a surgical oncologist i do tend to think from surgical perspective exactly But especially in rare cases it's always good to have an open mind and taking inputs from all the specialists mm. where sometimes you can maybe use radiation for sometimes maybe you can use chemo first maybe so, as a surgical oncologist there certain things that you wouldn't have foreseen absolutely absolutely so so especially in rare tumors case by case basis uh the input of all the three is definitely important wow yes. and even in routine cancers like sometimes the case even a straightforward breast case may have certain unique things in them which will make it a complicated case okay in which cases having the inputs of a medical oncologist or radiation oncologist and ideally uh, if you see in hospitals we also have uh, the radi- uh, radiologist and the pathologist also involved yes so uh, uh, sometimes they are also able to provide inputs yes. where the clinicians get lost <laughs> <laughs> the clinician only gets lost yeah okay anyway doctor in these covid times what would you suggest to cancer patients to uh, so recently actually we published in uh, the newspaper a few articles also stating the same that yes uh Florid COVID phase. Sometimes it's not possible to operate. Right. But it's like a dire emergency when the patient is actually suffering from the symptoms. He's undergoing treatment for that. We can't operate. Mm. But if he has had COVID already, mm. then the treatment remains the same as it is. Yes. What usually we follow the protocol is uh, once the symptoms fin- get over, we repeat a COVID test at fourteen days and at twenty one days. Oh, okay. And nowadays we have something called as the antibody testing, also to give an idea regarding uh, how much uh, the antibodies have developed. Right, right, right. We also do what is called as HRCT, higher resolution CT scan. CT scan. Because uh, the lung changes are the ones which are very sensitive. And Correct. And also, if the lung changes are not good, uh, they can affect the post-op recovery of the patient also. Oh so my! Yeah. Once uh, the patient has already had COVID, mm. and the swab at 15 days and 21 days are negative, and mm. if the HCT is fine, he is at par with the other patients. Okay. So okay. it's like in the last month itself, we have operated four such patients like that, okay. and the post-operative was as good as a normal patient. Right, 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 right. So unless uh, some stigmas in the chest. Hmm. or like the drugs like those toxicomab which can yeah yeah uh, affect the wbc counts or the it affects the inflammatory pathway as they say okay so, so some patients do sometimes take a longer time to recover but at least the patients even tata hospital has published their data which they have shown that even in post op covid patients hmm. in a very complex surgery the recovery was the same like any other covid patient okay so at present we are taking like in opd we take precautions uh, like we use a shield mask we wear a disposable gown to examine the patients yes yes we are segregating patients in the opd we are keeping social distancing without mm-hmm. mask and without temperature checks there is no entry inside the hospital yes uh, so in opd we don't ask for the mandatory covid test but we take precautions so that there is no cross contamination there is no cross infection mm and once the patient is uh, planned for treatment then we uh, do a covid test uh, two days prior to admission okay uh, so that the report is available on the day of admission 
Okay. And for the complex surgery, we also do the HRCT. Yes, yes, yes. So if both are negative, we take them up for surgery or chemo or radiation. Okay, okay. In chemo, if the patient is having a weekly chemotherapy and patient is uh, staying in the house for the seven days, hmm. we don't repeat the COVID. Usually, in chemotherapy or radiation, it is repeated after every fifteen days or three weeks. Wow, in right. surgery, we just need to repeat it one off. Yes, yes. So it's All like. Right. that is how the covid patients are taken care of when it comes to their cancer as well so uh, we are take uh, a good amount of care is taken and the best part is even after you have had covid the uh, so, uh, the cure and the uh, side effects are the same so okay. people like a normal cancer patient only okay so it is not like it doesn't affect the cancer patient yes. any other different way so my advice would be for the patients not to delay their treatment So okay. uh, we have had few cases during uh, May and June. Okay. We have delayed treatment from March to May June because of the COVID. Yeah. yeah. So a fifteen days delay will not harm you, but a two three months delay can definitely affect the survival. Yes. Yes. And, uh, like even if the patient is COVID positive and it is a fast growing tumor, then what we do is like we keep the patient in the hospital for fifteen days. Mm. Then after recovery, seven more days we keep the patient in the hospital only. Okay. Okay. Makes that makes more sense. For seven more days, mm. and within fifteen days after recovery, we take them up for surgery. Okay. So okay. Only very fast growing tumors, so that's a very uncommon occurrence. Mm. But as I said, the standard procedure is fifteen uh, day one COVID, twenty one day another COVID test. If complex cases HRCT, and then we operate. You all have to do what you all have to do, but the COVID doesn't affect the cancer like. Yes, yes. So uh, people should not delay the treatment just because of we are in the middle of pandemic. Pandemic, right, right, right. Doctor, my final question to you: um, What is it that you would like, as a surgical oncologist, and so much of knowledge that you have, the kind of lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle that people? What is it? What you would suggest to the viewers? to follow to take up in their daily lives i mean we can never avoid cancer if it comes it comes but um, there are people who have literally when talking about uh, head and neck cancers itself people who have never smoked also have got have never touched tobacco in their lives have got have landed up with lung cancer and things like that so if the cancer happens it happens but what would we do to take up a good and healthy lifestyle in our lives so, so my advice is always whatever you do do it in moderation right so that is the key statement i would say anything in excess is harmful to the body yes so it's like for example you are saying uh, that there are patients who don't smoke or don't chew tobacco yeah so, but what happens is they have other issues like they might be drinking mm. or they might be eating very spicy food which is sometimes known to affect the mucosa of our oral cavity they might have uh, by, by the tendency to eat spicy food doctor uh, no, uh, people who eat spice what happens uh, the if it's extremely spicy like very uh spicy chilies or like the sriracha sauce or something like that so the extremely spicy food can affect the this pink lining is called as mucosa 
so it can affect the mucosal lining of the uh, oral cavity the food pipe okay the stomach so spices are known to cause harm in the long run yes so usually the stomach cancer patients or the food pipe cancer you patient which we see in the interiors of maharashtra ha huh. or in the cold regions of india hmm uh, those are because in this uh, the interiors of maharashtra or the cold areas of india there is a tendency to eat spice Yes. because uh, they say that it uh, it produces heat in the body yeah so it gives them warmth they so say they, that they say that yeah, yeah. so so but we see lot of correlation between increased spicy food and these kind of cancers okay and secondly which i told you like a moderate diet is always the best so you should have adequate greens right you have adequate carbs adequate proteins and adequate fats right so you should eat at least five fruits a week five fruits a week yeah and then there should be some element of physical activity mm-hmm. just a uh, uh, 45 minutes walk twice a day is good enough mm-hmm. it gives you a good cardiovascular exercise also a brisk walk a cardio it gives you a good car- uh, cardiovascular workup also mm-hmm. at the same time it's like a it may prevent obesity in the long run Yes, doctor. Then eating in moderation with that is important. Like you take a forty-five minutes walk, but if you are eating pizzas morning and evening, it's not done. <laughs> so it's like that. So what you eat makes a difference. So any day a home cooked meal is going to be better than a anything bought from meal. outside. Yeah. And then yeah. refined flours, refined sugar, so maida, white sugar, those are dangerous things. So wherever possible, shift to uh, the brown sugar or uh, to whole wheat flours or multigrain flours they are good for your digestion also as well as it helps in improving the lifestyle also so fiber and yeah yes yeah so basically moderate good activity good diet good lifestyle definitely helps definitely Doctor Nina, that has been an absolute pleasure. I myself have, you know, my eyes have been open to so much within my own diet. <laughs> so much. Thank you so much for the session. And on behalf of my team at Zen Onco and Love Heals Cancer, I really want to thank you at not just for this session, but for the amazing work that you are putting out there, the, the invaluable service you have to this nation and all of us. You know, you've definitely pushed boundaries and you know tackled such complex situations. As far as I have read up on your profile, and it is really, really an honor for me to be interviewing you here and talking to you about this. It is an honor for me. Thank you so much, doctor, taking the time out from your busy schedule, and it was indeed such a pleasure. thank you so much for giving us and i'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to benefit from this thank you so much doctor thanks a lot thank you thank you so much good night to you yeah